Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2. Available on the web at fm1032.com.au. We're talking about the resurrection this week, partly because it's so central to Christianity, but also because for some people today, it's completely scandalous. If you've just joined us on this topic, you've missed a little discussion of the way some people try to explain away the resurrection. The disciples stole the body, um, they saw just a hallucination, the whole story is just a myth that evolved over time, and so on. All of these can be shown to be utterly implausible. Last night, I introduced one of the most important New Testament statements about the resurrection. It comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. And it mentions at least six occasions when the resurrected Jesus appeared to different individuals or groups of disciples. Firstly, to Kephas, we're told, that's the Aramaic equivalent of the Greek name Peter, that's the Apostle Peter. Secondly, to the 12 apostles altogether. Thirdly, to 500 of the believers at the same time, I would have loved to have been there for that. Fourthly, to James, that's Jesus' own blood relative. Fifthly, to all of the apostles, that is not just the 12 apostles, but all of the Christian missionaries from that earliest period. And then sixthly, to the Apostle Paul himself. Remember, Paul had been a persecutor of Christians up until that moment. But all of his animosity toward Christ evaporated the moment he saw Jesus alive from the dead. Paul, of course, went on to write 13 of the books of the New Testament. The resurrection had a massive influence on this man, as it did on all the apostles. Interestingly, there was another set of witnesses to the resurrection that is not mentioned in this early summary of events from 1 Corinthians 15. According to all four Gospels, the first people to witness the empty tomb and the risen Jesus were not the male apostles at all, but a small group of women disciples, including Mary, Jesus' mum, Salome, Joanna, and another woman called Mary. If you want to read the accounts themselves, you can find them in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Let me read um, the last one to you because it's pretty special. This is John chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, there are so many 
things we could explore in this beautiful account from John's Gospel. But I want to focus on just one thing. The significance of having women as the first eyewitnesses. For historians, this is a really intriguing detail because the testimony of women was seriously questioned in both Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures of this period. For example, the Jewish writer Josephus, writing in the first century itself, reflects well the views of many in his day. He writes these words, From women let no evidence be accepted because of the frivolousness and cheekiness of their sex. Now let me make clear, I completely disagree with old Josephus. I'm quoting him because I want you to realise what people in the first century generally thought about women and about the testimony of women in particular. This makes it all the more baffling that the gospel writers would include in their reports about Jesus an account of women being the first to see the empty tomb and the risen Jesus himself. This is a point even mainstream scholars find unusual. Here's a quote from Professor James Dunn of Durham University in the UK. This is one of the leading New Testament historians in the world today. As is well known, in Middle Eastern society of the time, women were not regarded as reliable witnesses. A woman's testimony in court was heavily discounted. And any report that Mary had formerly been demon-possessed, as Luke 8.2 says would hardly add credibility to any story attributed to her in particular. Why then attribute such testimony to women, unless that was what was remembered as being the case? In contrast, can it be seriously argued that such a story would be contrived in the cities and or village communities of first century Palestine, a story which would have to stand up before public incredulity and prejudice? What he's saying is that if you were making up a story about a resurrection and you wanted your fellow first century Jews to believe it, you would not include women as the initial witnesses. This point is worth reflecting on. It was once argued in scholarship that the gospel accounts of the discovery of the empty tomb were late inventions crafted to lend weight to the apostles' claim that they'd seen Jesus alive. This view has lost fans in the last decade, even among sceptical scholars, because several features of these accounts, the involvement of the women just being one of them, would actually have weakened the strength of such a claim in a first century context. On the whole, the Gospels read like honest attempts to relate what the followers of Jesus had said from the very, very beginning. Whatever our personal feelings about the resurrection, you can't really avoid the historical conclusion that the empty tomb and the testimony of the women, along with that of the other apostles, were at the core of Christianity from the very beginning. Let me repeat something I said in connection with Jesus' healings a couple of weeks ago. By its nature, historical study can't actually prove whether or not a particular miraculous event took place. The best we can do is determine three things. One, how early the reports about a supposedly miraculous event are. In other words, whether the time gap between the event itself and the first report was sufficient for the report to be explained away as a developed legend. Secondly, um, how widespread the reports are. That is, how many independent sources make reference to the same event. And thirdly, 
whether the reported event can be explained by cultural expectation or precedent. In the case of the healings, you may remember, I said that historians can't actually affirm or deny that Jesus healed people. That would be to go beyond historical method to offer a philosophical interpretation. What historians can and do affirm is that the reports about Jesus' healings are very early, very widespread, and completely without cultural precedent. This leads historians to the widely accepted conclusion that everyone around Jesus, including his enemies, interpreted what he did as supernatural. Now, roughly the same sort of historical conclusion can be reached about the resurrection. Historians can't demonstrate that Jesus actually rose from the dead. That would be to move beyond historical study to offer a philosophical or theological conclusion. All that historians can do is demonstrate that the reports about the resurrection are very early, very widespread, and completely without cultural expectation or precedent. This means that at least two conclusions are drawn by a majority of mainstream scholars. Conclusion number one, Jesus' tomb was in fact empty shortly after his crucifixion. Number two, from the very beginning, significant numbers of men and women claimed to have seen Christ alive from the dead. How people account for these two historical conclusions will depend largely on what they feel is possible in the world. As I've said before, if you assume that the observable laws of nature are the only things controlling the universe, then no amount of evidence is going to be considered good enough to convince you that a resurrection has taken place. You are always going to say that dead people stay dead, including Jesus. If, on the other hand, you accept that the observable laws of nature are not the only things controlling the universe, that there is a lawgiver behind these laws, then you have the freedom, quite rationally, to look at the historical facts of an empty tomb and multiple resurrection appearances and conclude that Jesus, in fact, was raised from the dead. Let me tell you, that's where my money is. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.